I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, the second half of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll find it in the Pew Bible on page 868, I think, uh, and we'll come to now Luke chapter 10 in our series, Your Mission Should You Choose to Accept It. Luke chapter 10, and in context, we're obviously looking at it in context, but I'm just going to read for us for verse 1. Let's pray as we come now to God's Word. Let's bow our heads in prayer together. Our Father God, we ask as we come to your word now that you would uh, be at work among us for your glory, great God of highest heaven. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So friends, Luke chapter 10 and beginning at verse 1, let's hear God's word. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. The Mission Impossible movie franchise has an iconic moment at the beginning of each movie where the hero, Ethan Hunt, receives his his mission. And at some point or other, he, he, he gets the instructions from his boss up the espionage hierarchy, however it works. Uh, the phrase comes out, your mission should you choose to accept it. Also, at some point in that uh, moment, that iconic moment, there's another phrase, uh, which is, this message will self-destruct. And I've been somewhat amused to find that a number of people have said to me as we're doing this series, your mission should you choose to accept it. They've been saying, I hope the message will not self-destruct. But this message will self-destruct. That is, there is an urgency to it. And I want to show you that as we go through the sermon this morning and answer the question, will you go? First of all, let's make sure we're rightly orientated to where we are, a little bit of review. Remember, we're in Luke's gospel. Luke has a particular theme that you can read about in the first four verses of the chapter. Each of the gospels have a purpose. They're slightly different takes on the life of Jesus. And they're not just biographies, they're preaching. There's a message to each of the gospels. And Luke's message is orientated around his claim that Jesus is the fulfillment to the Old Testament scriptures. He's trying to make that claim. And he's uh, pressing forward with the aim that as we read his gospel, we become certain, convinced, we would have certainty of the truth that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament uh, promises. And uh, we also saw last week, and again, as we just orientate ourselves this morning as we get into this Will You Go message this week, that uh, Luke has a particular emphasis So he wants us to see that Jesus is the Savior. Uh, He repeats that idea over and over again. And he wants us, therefore, to see how he can save us. So Luke's aim is that we will be saved. He wants us to see how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises, that a Savior would come. He wants us to be certain that that is Jesus, so that we might be saved. And then having embraced that salvation, 
He wants us to look to the far horizon. At the end of uh, the gospel, he describes how Jesus sends those who have experienced salvation to all nations. They have a mission. And this section we're looking at uh, over the next few weeks is uh, the second half of Luke's gospel. Luke is basically divided into two sections. second half begins around uh, chapter 9, verse 51 or thereabouts, where Jesus now sets his face to Jerusalem. And as he travels to Jerusalem, there are a series of lessons on the way. And each of those has a particular sub-theme to it. Uh, On the way, he teaches about this. And on the way, he teaches about the other. And this section that we're looking at over the next few weeks is all about the mission, hence the title of the series, Your Mission, Should You Choose to Accept It. And uh, last week we saw that the first question is, will you follow? And then this week we're looking at, will you go? Now, the the, the question last week, will you follow, in a sense is is an obvious question with an obvious answer that we're intended to give. Of course, we're meant, all of us, to say, yes, we will follow Jesus. It's obvious, but it's deeply challenging. Because to follow Jesus, as we saw, we must prioritize him, put him first. And that's very challenging even though it's obvious that we should say yes. This question is less obvious. Really, should we all go? Should all followers of Jesus go? Do we all have a mission? Do we all have a ministry? Really? It's less obvious what the right answer to that is. And it also feels, I think, to most people, uh, uh, the the challenge is is related to Is it doable? Practically. If the answer is, I should go, and I say yes to that, how am I meant to do it? So what I want to show us is how, uh, what the right answer to this is, which seems less obvious, but then also that it is doable. So there are five ways, five bullet points about this, and the last two are more about the doability, the practicality of it. So first of all, reorder your schedule, or should I say schedule, Uh, reorder your schedule around the deadline of going. So you see how uh, Luke describes it for us. Luke 10 verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So, So as we saw last week, he's called people to follow him. And as we, I hope, accepted that challenge and said yes to following Jesus, but in the text... It seems as if those who were challenged said no. Though they said no, there are others then that Jesus appointed. It is a time-bound offer. It's an opportunity that will not last forever. And if you miss the opportunity, after this, the Lord appointed others. There is a deadline. It's time-bound opportunity. And, of course, the Bible witnesses to this over and over again. It describes this over and over again. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 talks about how Jesus has not yet returned. Why, why has Jesus not yet come back? The answer, Second Peter tells us, is because he's patient, giving us time to repent. In other words, there's a time-bound opportunity to repent, and therefore there's a time-bound opportunity to witness. Because one day Jesus will return. There's a deadline. 
Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul uh, has a similar sort of idea when he says we need to redeem the time for the days are evil. What he's talking about then is that there is a time-bound opportunity that we need to make the most of. Will not last forever. Or Mark chapter 13, uh, Jesus tells us the days are short. In other words, not going to last forever. It's coming soon. Let me try to put a a point on this reordering your schedule or schedule around the deadline of going uh, in this way. Let me ask, ask this question. What can you do now that you cannot do in heaven? And, of course, the answer is evangelism. There's no evangelism in heaven. By definition, everyone there is already converted. There's an opportunity. You have something you can do now that you cannot do in heaven. If you're a Christian, you can witness. Or let me ask the same sort of question in a slightly different way, which is this. What can you take with you to heaven? And we wouldn't know that we cannot take money with us. We cannot take possessions with us. What can we take us to, with us to heaven? The answer to that, people. If you witness to someone they become a Christian, you will spend eternity with them. You can take people with you to heaven. Nothing else, only people. So don't miss the opportunity to make an eternal difference with your life. Now, I'll grant you that perhaps this is not the very best reason uh, to witness or to go. Without any doubt, the greatest reason to do anything is for the glory of God. Uh, And so that's the ultimate and best reason that we are to go, is to glorify God. Of course, that's the greatest reason. This is not the best or the greatest reason to go, but it is a good reason and a biblical reason. There's a time-bound urgency to it. Second, accept going... As an official appointment from Jesus himself. Look how Luke describes it. The Lord appointed. And uh, that word appointment is uh, deliberately chosen to underline the official nature of it. It, uh, The the word is used in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. The first chapter to describe the various officials that were appointed by King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, And there's therefore an official Uh, an officialness to it, uh, an appointment to an official position, an ambassador or role, a civil servant or something. You're officially appointed. And Luke uh, uses uh, the the same idea here in his gospel as well. Chapter 1, verse 18, before uh, Jesus' formal public ministry to which he had been appointed came, same word. And now that appointment is being passed over to us. An official appointment from Jesus. And then in Luke's writing, uh, the second of his two-volume history of Christian origins, Luke, the first volume, and then the book of Acts, the second volume, he uses the same word to describe the appointment of of God's people to to mission in Acts chapter 1. Accept going as an official appointment from Jesus himself. Acts chapter 1, the appointment of, uh, of, of, of the leaders of God's people there. Accept going as an official appointment from Jesus himself. Now that changes how we feel, doesn't it? 
very often we're told, aren't we, these days, that if we ever do any evangelism of anyone, it's an arrogant thing to do. How dare you say that Jesus is the only way to God? Seems so arrogant to our culture today. But it isn't arrogance to witness to Jesus, it's acceptance. It's not self-assertion, I'm right. That's self-assertion. What it is is God-dependence. It's an official appointment from the Lord Jesus himself. Perhaps this illustration might help you with that. If you um, know anything about drama or you've been to acting school or taking acting lessons, you know there's a standard way that you're taught these, way, these days to act that comes from a famous Russian uh, dramatist called Stanislavski, and it's called uh, the system or the method. Before Stanislavski, uh, acting was done by pretending. People used to look in the mirror and try and get exactly the right gesture uh, and that sort of thing. But what Stanislavski introduced way back in the early 20th century and still influences 99% of the acting you see in movies and everywhere else on the the theater and everything. Stanislavski said, no, that's entirely wrong. Don't look in a mirror and try and pretend. Instead, ask yourself, if you were the person that you are being asked to act out, how would you feel? What would you think? In other words... He called it the magic if. If you were that person, what would you be like? And then his theory is that if you internalize that, then subconsciously it, it impacts the way you gesture and the way you look and the, the kind of glint in your eyes and everything. And, and so that it feels like it's real because the actor has the magic if. If I was that person, what would I do? Now, of course, as we go in witness to Jesus, we're not pretending we really have been appointed. But it's still important to actually internalize it, isn't it? If you had been officially appointed by Jesus himself to witness, how would you feel? What would you think? How would you act? It's a game-changing realization, isn't it? It will shift everything we do. It gives us also, of course, guaranteed ultimate success. Not all our going or witness will be successful. There will be temporary setbacks, of course. But there's ultimate success because it's divinely appointed by Jesus himself. And that also, therefore, motivates us, doesn't it, to witness. Because we know that God will save. He's sovereign over salvation as he is sovereign over the appointment of those who go on mission. Well, here's the third of the sort of framework parts before we get to the the more doability, the application, the practicality of it here. Third, and uh, the 8 o'clock service told me that I pronounced this entirely wrong, so I'll try one more time, but I thought it was an amusing way to put it. I thought we needed something a little lighter after this, after I've challenged you quite a lot already. So let's try. Ao yao. Going to ow. It's terrible, isn't it? I'm so sorry. Um, Forgive me. Um, But I wanted to try and make it clear what is being said here. We tend to think that this is just for a certain category of person and perhaps even to a certain category of people. But no, Jesus is underlining that it's all, all his followers are to go 
to all. Are Yao going to all? And this is the reason why it's 72. It's a very uh, deliberate number uh, that is chosen, whether it's 72 or 70. Your foot name might have 70. It doesn't make any difference. It's the same idea. Uh, the number refers to Genesis chapter 10. And in Genesis chapter 10, is the list of the table of nations that are uh, in uh, the Greek 70, uh, 72. So what Jesus is saying is uh, this witness is not just to one or two special nations. It's not just to one or two special ethnicities or special races or special classes. This is for all, going to all. And it's all who are to go. Because in Luke's gospel, the 72 contrasts with the 12 that Jesus has in a very similar way in chapter 9 already sent out. Well, those are the apostles. But now he's sending out the 72. That is all who will receive uh, his, uh, his appointment. It's not just then, uh, going, all you're going to all. It's not just now this, the 72, is not just the apostles. It's not just pastors. It's not just missionaries. Don't leave it up to the professionals or the clerics. Uh, don't have uh, insider focus as a church. If you're not yet a Christian here this morning and you're seeking to understand the things of Jesus and you come around the Bible and, and you, who is this Jesus that is so confident of his status and his identity that he's sending out his emissaries to the far corners of the earth? What a special person he must be. We want you here. We don't have an insider focus. We want those who are exploring Jesus to come to church. Now, in missiology, so there's a whole uh, academic uh, theory about mission uh, and missions that's called missiology. The distinction is made, and it's important to have clear in our mind, between missions in the plural and mission. Missions in the plural in the missiology, typical way of talking about it, is cross-cultural missions, someone going to a different culture and learning the language and getting to know the people there and all that sort of thing. And we send out many uh, missionaries on missions. Uh, we're not all uh, missionaries in that sense. And we're not all on missions. Uh, only some people are called to be pastors. Only some people are called to be mish- missionaries and elders and that sort of thing. We're not all on missions, but we are all on mission. God has a mission to this world that all his people are called to participate in. There is a mission of the pew. We come to church with a ministry. You don't just come here to receive, I trust. You come here to look around and say, who can I encourage? Who is there who hasn't been here for a while that I notice that I can then pray for? You have a mission. You have a ministry as a follower of Jesus, if you will accept it. The mission of the pew or the ministry of the pew. Or well, here then are two practical ways to get on with it. Is it really doable? Uh, number four bullet point, or uh, first these two practical ways. Go with others to give credibility to the truth. And I think this is what's going on by Jesus sending out two by two. Most commentaries you read on this will 
just talk about how this is intended to give uh, community and support and, he, and, and Jesus is sending out his team as a two and so there's someone to rely upon and I'm sure that's the case as well but I think there's something a bit more specific going on here too where to go with others to give credibility to the truth I think the reference point of course is from Genesis chapter 6 when all of creation went into the ark to be saved and now having been saved the whole new creation is to go out from the ark to offer salvation to all It's one reference point. And the other reference point is the two or three witnesses that establish the truth. From Deuteronomy 19, you need two or three witnesses, or the Apostle Paul quotes it in 2 Corinthians 13. And so this two by two is a witness to the truth or the proclamation or salvation. Uh, not witness, of course, to judgment or condemnation, but a witness to the truth. Or as Jesus elsewhere says, where two or three are gathered, there am I. This is the nascent, early, essential church together on mission. And the reason why that is important is because it gives credibility to the truth. It's not just me. It's us together. There's a, uh, there's a teamwork Yes, but this isn't merely saying avoid, quote-unquote, the Lone Ranger syndrome. This is saying that together we have uh, a witness to the truth that is credible. And therefore, we're in this together, and that's therefore church. Therefore, become a member of the church, because if you become a member of the church, then together we're witnessing. We're saying, yeah, this is true, I'm in. Therefore, go to adult communities. Therefore, uh, church here is relatively big, though there are many other bigger churches around America, but it's relatively big. And as we are together, we have a witness to the truth. That's why we do church. That's why we have our About Us lunch. So will you um, pray with at least one other person who you might go as a witness to your school? Or your family, perhaps you come from a family where not everyone is a Christian. Maybe you're married to a non-Christian. Will you pray with someone to help you uh, witness to your husband or your wife? Or maybe your neighborhood, you're aware in your neighborhood there are a number of different people around you who aren't yet Christians. Pray that there'll be someone you can pray with to have a joint witness to give credibility to the truth. Well, fifth and finally, in the second, these more doable ways of going. Go by simply pointing to Jesus. Uh, Jesus uh, sends them ahead of him where he himself was about to go. In other words, they're pointing to him. So our witness is not about us. Uh, when When we witness, we're not saying, look at me and how wonderful I am. We're saying, look at him. In fact, the, the real witness is, I'm a complete mess. What a disaster, but God still loves me. Isn't Jesus amazing that he looks after and loves someone even as disastrous as me? And you were simply pointing to Jesus. I think one of the, the, the best models of this, and I've told on this at various times, uh, I think probably particularly in the evening service here, but in Colossians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul gives three simple ways of uh, simply pointing to Jesus. He says, first of all, pray, ask that you be given an opportunity, then look for the opportunity, 
look around and see it and try to seize it, and then bring someone to you with you to church, invite them to come to church or Bible study or something. You're simply pointing to Jesus, nothing more. And, of course, then we persevere in witness, don't we? Because we know he's coming back. And there's ultimate success guaranteed. He will return. And there may be temporary setbacks, but his victory, his ultimate victory, is certain. And as Luke is being trying to convince us of the certainty, uh, the ultimate victory of Jesus is certain. Well, in uh, 2004, the French psychologist Corinne Maillet, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that name right, Um, French speakers here, forgive me if I got it completely wrong, but he published an international bestseller in 2004, the French psychologist Corinne Maillet, and the international bestseller he published was called in French, Bonjour Paris, again, sorry, apologies for the terrible French, Uh, But in English, it means, hello, laziness. It became an international bestseller. He was working at the time for the French electrical giant, the company EDF. And the book was about how he found office culture wasted huge amounts of time. And so he figured out how to get all his work done in two hours in the morning and spend the rest of the day writing books. As he was interviewed, as this uh, book he wrote became an international bestseller, he said, I was very efficient. Uh, the company EDF didn't see the humorous side of it, and they called him in for a disciplinary hearing after it became a bestseller. Now, I'm not suggesting skipping work. Uh, but I am saying that our so-called business is no excuse. We have the time to do what we want to do. Most of us have at least some uh, time that we can call our hours and do what we want with. So what will we do with that time? Will we go? Uh, This message will self-destruct. We have timelines, we have target dates, we have smart goals that are time-bound. We have financial goals, fitness goals, family goals. We have deadlines at work, deadlines at school, certain papers have to be turned in by this time. Witness has a deadline, too. And really, it's the ultimate deadline, isn't it? It's as final as death. It cannot be renegotiated or repeated. Will we go to our neighbor? To our family, to our friends, to our community? Will we go on mission this morning to those we see around us who perhaps need help or prayer or care? 
Time is running out. This message will self-destruct in five, four, three, two, one. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you do officially appoint us to go. We are not taking on ourselves, arrogating to ourselves a status or standing that we don't have. You send your people. Uh, We ask, Lord, that we will look around and see the harvest all around us now. Lord, it's one thing to be asked to follow you, and that is a challenge because it means putting you first. Um, But Lord, here you are also sending us. Uh, We are not merely being asked to put you first. We're being asked to point to you, to witness to you. And one day you're coming back. And one day, uh, if we follow our following, you will be in heaven and the opportunity will be gone to evangelize or witness. Help us, Lord, to uh, pray for opportunities, to seize them when they come, and to bring others to church or Bible study or something with us. We thank you, Lord, that though there are distinct callings in your church to be pastors or elders or missionaries, there's also a general calling to mission. And we pray, Lord, that every part of this body would do its bit. Uh, and say yes to going. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.